Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Namihi and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ with me, Alison Balance. Sarcopenia is to muscle what osteoporosis is to bone. It's a progressive loss of lean muscles as you get older, particularly in your arms and legs, the bits that scientists like to call appendicular muscle mass. Sarcopenia is one of the main reasons we become frail as we age. And if you're young and don't think this is relevant to you, well, actually it is. That's because how much muscle mass you have when you're younger, in your 20s and early 30s, determines in part how much you'll have when you're old. Start off with weak, small muscles, and you'll most likely end up with very weak muscles. I'm off to the Department of Medicine at the University of Otago to meet Deborah Waters. She knows a lot about ageing, and in particular, about sarcopenia. So the current definition of sarcopenia is actually relative lean body mass, but also a measure of either gait speed or grip strength. So it's a combination of the two now that we use. So sarcopenia, for me, as I get older, I'm probably going to lose muscle mass. I won't be as strong, like my grip won't be as strong, and I might end up walking more slowly as Does it boil down to that? Yes, it does. (laughs) Yes. And sarcopenic obesity, kind of skinny fat of older age, and it's much harder to identify because you're losing lean body mass, your fat is staying the same, your bone is also decreasing, so it's masked basically by BMI, our common measure of body mass index, and it's also masked by weight. So people can have quite profound changes in their skeletal muscle mass that is not picked up in typical clinical measures. In other words, your weight and even your BMI might seem to stay the same, but an increasing amount of fat is masking the fact that you're also losing both muscle and bone mass. Now, while Deborah says there's a lot of debate about how to exactly clinically define sarcopenia and sarcopenic obesity, there is also some good news. Sarcopenia is not inevitable. It is modifiable. So we have lots and lots of research that's gone on looking at exercise, protein supplements, combination of both. And unfortunately, a lot of this research has not used the same kinds of interventions, exercise or dietary interventions. So it's been tricky when we use systematic reviews and meta-analysis to try to combine all these studies to get at an answer of what should we be doing. The most accepted is that progressive resistance exercise is really quite key. And the weight-bearing exercises that we've always said were so important is still important, but it generally is not enough to stop and slow that loss of of skeletal muscle mass as we age. So you really need something more intense. So weight-bearing exercises could be me walking around the block? Yes. Resistance exercise, what am I going to have to do? Lift weights. (laughs) And even your own body weight might be enough. Um, Even doing things like walking up steep hills is a a bigger stress on your muscles than just walking around the block. 
but you certainly can reverse and certainly slow that process by doing resistance exercise and having adequate amounts of protein in your diet. So it doesn't necessarily mean going to the gym and doing lots of weightlifting? No, no, not necessarily. I, I think, you know, people could do plenty on their own if they were motivated <laughs> enough to do it in their own homes. The trials that I've been involved with in the U.S. where we had obese, frail, sarcopenic people going through very intense lifestyle interventions of exercise, resistance exercise, aerobic exercise, a combination of both, and dieting, were hugely successful in turning people's frailty and loss of lean body mass around. Dieting by itself is not a good idea for people who are sarcopenic and obese because you will just drive further losses of lean body mass and skeletal muscle mass. So what do they need to do? Eat more protein? They need to do resistance exercise alongside of the dieting. And also the combination of aerobic and resistance seems quite effective. Now tell me more about sarcopenic obesity, this skinny on the outside, fat on the inside. Oh, it's a tricky beast (laughs) because it is hard to identify. And so more and more we're starting to look at these functional measures because people who are sarcopenic and obese consistent findings in research across the world is that they have poor physical functioning than people who are obese alone, who have normally in body mass, or people who are sarcopenic alone, who have low muscle and low fat. So that combination of high fat, low muscle is really detrimental to function, and it's a tricky one to clinically identify. So we're starting to move more towards identifying people through things such as grip strength, walking speed, sit to stand, If you have a BMI that's 30 or higher and you are weak at the same time, you are much more likely to be sarcopenic and obese than someone who has normal, it's like a sit-to-stand. And that's a common measure, and that's one that... So that's as simple as going, I'm sitting in a chair, can I get up unassisted? Yes, unassisted, yes. If, if I you can rise to my feet like I've just oh, done. Very good. Brilliant. <laughs> yes, not using your hands. <laughs> and that's the key, not pushing yourself out of the seat with using your arms. And that's a key one that we see clinically, that if people struggle to stand up out of a chair and can't do that without you pushing off of their arms, their lower limbs are probably not very strong. And And then if they're also in that obese BMI, not an ideal measure because it doesn't pick up everything, but it can tell you enough to say, should we explore this further in a clinical setting? Is this person obese? They're also weak. Uh, Not a good combination. Maybe you want to do a DEXA scan if you have that available to you. A BIA, bioelectrical impedance, is another measure that we use. Um, But that sarcopenic obese one is the one that we're, we're really keen to get people identified because that is the one that is more related to functional deficits and the more functional deficits you have like sit to stand and step tests and other common measures that we use put you on that trajectory to become frail once you start losing your function you tend to stop and lower your physical activity in response to that and that starts that slippery slope down self-fulfilling that kind of vicious cycle down 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 (laughs) what do you need to do can you reverse it your first step should be to try to increase that lean body mass. So start your muscle building first. Start your muscle building first and also start doing some, you know, aerobic activities to try to, you know, maintain some of that function in the lower limb and not worry so much about the, the weight loss initially. And you might actually see a slight increase in the weight, but you're shifting that body composition to a more healthy ratio of fat to lean. So you're better off building up a bit of muscle mass and putting up with the fact that you're a bit overweight. Yes. It's a, a healthier 
place to be. It is, as long as you don't have any kind of metabolic kinds of problems from being obese or overweight, um, because you can, as we've shown in the, in the U.S., um, quite dramatically change body composition for the better and function for the better, and people feel better and they report their own quality of life is better. Is this an inevitable thing as you age? The loss of skeletal muscle mass is inevitable, but it is certainly different in di- different trajectories in different people. And, it, and we're looking at this right now in the Dunedin multidisciplinary study of where does this really begin? And it does begin <laughs> apparently quite a bit earlier in life. So it begs the question, as we know with bone, if you don't hit your peak bone mass, you are on a different trajectory into osteopenia, osteoporosis than people who have maintain who have reached a very high peak bone mass so i would imagine and this is what we don't know yet but it would it would make sense since bone and muscle are very interrelated with each other that if you don't hit peak muscle mass in your earlier ages 25 to 30 your trajectory is going to particularly if you're not physically active is going to be quite a bit sharper than someone who starts at a higher level stays physically active longer and in, in, into old age than someone who doesn't have that peak never becomes physically active and maintains that low physical activity and then becomes obese in older age. So, What is it that exercise does for muscles? It's a stimulus to be able to increase. In younger ages, you can um, actually see quite dramatic hypertrophy where you get increase in the actual muscle cell size and volume. And you still see that even in the older people that we've done some of the randomized controlled trials on. They will see increases of 4% in their lean body mass. So it's not that you can't increase your lean body mass in old age. And, and you can actually do very little exercise and see quite a dramatic increase in function in the muscle. So you get an increase in the actual nervous kind of weight, nervous stimulation, and the way that muscle functions, as well as the muscle cells themselves increase. So what would your message to older people be? Keep moving <laughs> for a lot of different reasons, um, not just for muscle health and body composition, lowering fat mass, but also functionally you, you maintain your gait and your balance and your overall function by staying active much longer into later life. Is if you can maintain some level of function, it will change. And for a good reason, um, as vision changes, as your proprioception and your ability to feel your body in space and, and on the ground changes, you know, you do need to be careful climbing ladders and doing lots of things that you would do without even thinking about as you're younger. You might think a little bit more carefully about what you're doing, but certainly staying active. My father is now 90, and he's has lots of challenges with being physically active because of pain, but he's still out there and on his recumbent bike in the garage and pedals away and <laughs> wants to maintain his function. So, yeah, I think if there people are motivated to maintain function. The more you can do, the longer you can do it, just maintain it as long as you can and adapt it as you need to. And if you haven't been doing exercise for a while, then start doing it, but build up gently and don't rush at it. Yes, that's right. And and we're lucky. We're very fortunate in Dunedin and in New Zealand now across the country. We have lots of strength and balance classes that are on offer. And it's part of the ACC lead agency model that they're using. And also Age Concern has the study as you go in the Otago exercise programs, you know, either the home-based or community-based, and then they're really an excellent way to kind of, if you haven't been doing things, to start yourself off getting some exercises. And certainly if you prefer home exercises, that's a great way to get yourself, you know, 
back on track with doing kinds of activities. You know, and we got green prescription, which can help people to, you know, through their physicians to find out what's available in their communities and and be able to start either doing community-based or home-based kinds of activities. So on our Changing World recently, we've been hearing about how toxic loneliness is. So there's an element in, in the exercising that you've been talking about that you could build social networks into that as well. Absolutely. And for people who like to, to exercise in groups, that I think it's such an important component. That's what we've seen with the Steady As You Go falls prevention, strength and balance classes that are wildly popular now, particularly around Dunedin. And those started out, and they still are, where a physician might tell someone that they really have a, have issues with their strength and balance and should go be part of these classes. And what we found with the research that we did was that it was the social component. These classes have 10 weeks together, then they become peer-led classes, and we have classes that have been running continuously since 2003. <laughs> and there's now over, I might be misquoting, but I think around 1,500 people in and around Dunedin who are doing these peer-led classes. And when we evaluated these classes, the strong message was it is the social interaction, the social camaraderie that we get out of these classes that keeps us coming back. And I think that's key to what we see in, in older people and decreasing that social isolation and keeping that social connectedness with people to keep people feeling positive about the exercise. It might be go to the class, do 45 minutes, it's not very exciting, but then you get to sit and have a cup of tea and catch up. <laughs> and that's key to keeping people engaged. Do you have any sense what the older population in New Zealand is like compared to other bits of the world? Are we pretty much the same? Are we better off? Are we worse off? I would say because there's more of a focus, I think, with outdoor education and younger ages that I see from from how I compare it to the U.S., there's certainly a very active component in young age. I think as people get older, unfortunately, we're seeing obesity rising in older adults in this country, as well as Australia, that we've seen in Europe, that we see in the U.S. So to change that in middle age, I think, is really key. That's where we need to start looking at you know, what's going on, and, and as, we see, as we're seeing with the Dunedin study, how do we stop that trend become, you know, where our body mass index and obesity peaks in that middle age, 55 to 65. So if you can stop that from happening and maintain that physical activity in youth into older age, and, and having that message we're getting outside and doing activities and maintaining that active lifestyle is so important to maintain that body composition and function into later life is is key. That's a very important public health message. But I think New Zealand does reasonably well because it is a more outdoor culture, but it's not immune to some of the things that we've seen going on in other parts of the world. Thanks, Deborah. That was Deborah Waters, and she is Director of Gerontology Research in the Department of Medicine at the University of Otago. I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast first aired on RNZ on the 6th of December 2018. You can find all our stories as well as written features and useful links at our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. There are links on the webpage to places where you can subscribe to us as a podcast. You can also sign up to our free email newsletter, which tells you what's on the show each week. There are lots of other RNZ podcasts to listen to. The New Zealand history podcast Black Sheep and the short satirical comedy Go Ahead Caller, to name just two. Stay in touch with us. 
We are on Facebook and Twitter at RNZ Science. Thanks for your company. Bye for now. Mate wa.